Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you. Um, if you are visiting today and uh, have and we have not met, I'm Associate Pastor Jonathan Lucia, and this morning uh, we are bringing stories from Mexico. And uh, we're going to start that today. Um, let me, I'm going to pray us in first, but um, uh, we're going to start that today with a video. It's a summary of what happened on the weekend. Um, we partner with an organization called Hugo Ministries, and one of the things they do uh, with every trip and team that goes down there, um, they, they actually have a team of three people who actually uh, video the whole event. And then at the end of a house building weekend, they, they actually put this together. Um, so we're going to share that with you, but uh, let me open us up with the word of prayer. Uh, loving God, as we um, turn to this time and hear stories from Mexico, and uh, a little later as we um, meditate on your word, we would pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, be feeding us and uh, inspiring us. We pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here's the video. There's got to be more than going back and forth From doing right to doing wrong Cause we were taught that's who we are Come on, get in line right behind me You along with everybody Thinking there's worth in what you do Then like a hero who takes the stage When we on the edge of our seats Saying it's too late Let me introduce you to amazing grace No matter the bumps No matter the bruises No matter the scars Still the truth is a cross has made The cross has made you flawless Oh, 
let me introduce you to Pretty cool, huh? Uh, what's, uh, I'm gonna do a brief, brief description before I invite um, Kat and Joey up. Um, so part of that video that you saw is that everybody's uh, at the end when the house is built, everybody who's built the house um, stands in a circle and there's, they call it the key ceremony. And um, at the family that's received, um, wow. So um, part of that ceremony is, uh, the receiving family or the receiving individual, but the people who have built the house, spent the day with this family, um, they, they pass the key uh, from one another and, and say a blessing on the house or give words of encouragement to the family. And so it's a pretty meaningful event. Uh, so that's part of what you saw in that video. So at this time, I'm gonna invite uh, Joey and uh, Kat up. Um, they're gonna introduce themselves and then they're gonna tell some of their stories from, from Mexico. Um, so welcome. Hi, Joey. Hello. So why don't you introduce yourself and let people know who you are. Come over here. Come closer. Both of you. Don't hide in the shadows. Come here. I love you. All right. So hi, Joey. Nice to meet you. Hello, Father. W what's your name? Son. <laughs> I'm Joey Lucia. This is my dad. Um, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, so tell, tell us, why don't you introduce yourself a little about what you're, what's going on in your life and then... Um, and we'll go from there. Uh, I'm a senior uh, in my last semester over at uh, Cal State Northridge. I uh, work at Boulder Dash, a rock climbing gym. And yeah, I've been coming to this church my entire life. And what are you studying? I'm studying kinesiology and exercise science. And, hopefully, and, what, and what day do you graduate? Uh, May 21st at 8 a.m. And what, what day of the week is that? It's a Sunday. So, so I will not be here. <laughs> and neither will I. <laughs> so, uh, Joey, uh, you've been on multiple... Uh, trips with Stonebridge. Uh, can you share kind of with everybody just how many times you've gone and where have you been and yeah. some of the things you've done? I think I've been to like six. Six? I've been to all but I think like two that our church has done. Are you talking about Mexico right now? Yeah, Mexico. Oh, but then, yeah, yeah Mexico fill, trips. Fill out your resume. Okay, so I've been on Mexico trips like this one or similar to this one like six, five or six times. Um, I went on the very first one when we were trying to figure out if this would like work for our church. Um, and then I've also gone to Haiti. Uh, that was 2019, no, 2017 to 2018. I was there over the new year. Uh, and I worked in orphanages while we were in Haiti with some partners over there. And then in 2019, I went to Honduras for two weeks uh, through uh, Impact. So I, so I asked the question, uh, so you know, post-pandemic, we've been trying to get back across borders and go global. And uh, so, you know, it's been, uh, we basically took a break for a while. So I wanted to ask Joey, you know, with all the trips that you've gone on, why do you keep going? Yeah, uh, specifically the Mexico trips, I think um, it's really, you know, I'm working, school. It's really easy to just go for the weekend and to watch the completion of the project from the pre-build to then go down there and see everything we did here turn into a house for a family that needs it. Uh, is really rewarding and it's really easy just to go and have this time to dedicate to serving other people. Um, and I think it's really important that you know we serve the communities and the people that are less fortunate than us here in the US, but I think it's also important to go abroad uh, and see that this isn't just a, you know, homelessness and poverty isn't just something in our country. There's 
a lot worse circumstances in other places um, that I think is hard to contextualize unless we're there um, and seeing it with our own eyes sometimes. Thank you, Joy. Yeah. Um, so now I introduce Kat, but she's going to say, uh, introduce yourself, tell us a little about yourself. And Yeah, so I'm Kat. I'm a friend of Joey and Pastor Jonathan and their family. And I met Joey through the climbing gym, and we've been friends ever since. And yeah. So where did you grow up? Or where so, were you born and where did you grow up? Yeah, so I was born in Mexico, and um, all my family is still there. But when I was a couple months old, my immediate family moved to Texas, and I was raised there. And my brother and I were raised there, but every summer we'd go back to Latin America because that's where the rest of our family resides and our roots are. And tell us a little bit, well, what, what do you do for a living? Just so, Yeah, so I'm an engineer. across. The, I work across the street from CSUN, a Medtronic, and I moved here for the job. Um, so what... Tell, tell us a little about about your. So I had conversations yeah. with her. I was getting to know her along on the Mexico trip. So the, she was telling things, and as things were seeping out, I'm like, "That's really interesting." So I, that's yeah. what I kind of want to hear from her this morning, so she can share that with you. What? Um, tell us a little about your mom and and what that's all about. And he'll explain it. That's enough. I'll yeah. Just shut so up now. my mom is <laughs> my mom is probably one of the closest people to me in my life. Um, I think when I was a kid growing up, I really looked up to her, and one of the biggest things that she really instilled in me was service. Um, that was always important to my family and something that we would honestly, my mom and I would do my whole life growing up. She would take us and we would do different service things. And my mom was a physician in Mexico. And when she came here, she wasn't able to practice. But when she met a lot of physicians here and she was still really involved in the medical community here in um, the United States and meeting physicians, she then started this program and worked with this program to where she would go across the border from Texas into Mexico. And since she was a licensed physician in Mexico, she was able to prescribe medications and bring medications and set up weekend pop-up clinics and help people. And she would bring physicians from the United States to then go and also help out delivering medications, you know, giving care, doing checkups, things like that. And I would translate. So as a kid, um, that was a lot of the service work that I was doing in Mexico, helping her set up these, these clinics and running them and translating for them. So that was really impactful growing up and doing that work. Yeah. So, um, so how did you end up going to Mexico with us? With you with guys? Stonebridge, yeah. So actually, when I first met Joey, I think, honestly, since the first week, second week, I'd learned about these trips. And you told me about your trips to Honduras and to Haiti and to Mexico. And I was really amazed by it. I mean, Joey, you, you really care about helping others. And it's really apparent. And I think also just hearing the impact that you're able to make in a weekend and in a week trip, it just sounded really, really cool. So a couple of weeks before this Mexico trip that we just went on, I remember you came up to me. We were climbing at the gym and you're like, Kat, we're doing this trip and you should come. And yeah, I was super excited about it. And it was really helpful to have someone who could translate. <laughs> Ding! <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little about what's going on in your heart and mind with regards to your own um, progression professionally. Yeah, so I think... For me, this trip was very impactful. I mean, obviously, like I feel like I connected to a lot of people in Mexico, and I connected to um, Joey and uh, Pastor Jonathan and everyone else, Mike and Jack, who were also on this trip with us. So it was really cool getting that experience. But I think this experience was also very personal to me because I've been thinking a lot about... I mean, I grew up with my mom, who's very service-oriented, and she's a physician, so she cares a lot about helping people instill those values in me. And I think, especially coming here and this trip to Mexico, helped me realize that that's something that I would like to do on a more, I, just more, spend more of my time helping others. And I've been thinking a lot about my career and how I spend my personal time. And coming back, or going to Mexico made me realize that like with my own two hands and with the time that I can dedicate, I can really make an impact in the lives of others. And that's something that I want to do more on a day-to-day. -day. So whether that's working for a nonprofit or whether that's 
um, dedicating my time here, helping the local community and being regular in community service, or maybe even the long-term doing something like the Peace Corps or AmeriCorps to where I can just dedicate my time 100% to service. I think seeing the impacts, you know, we were able to have building a house and giving the keys to someone and seeing that we're going to help a family have a roof over their heads for the rest of their lives was really meaningful and realizing that I could play a part in that and that maybe the rest of my life I can play a part in that every day. That's just something that I want to do. And this trip helped me realize that and wow. assert that. Well, thank you both for sharing. So let's give yeah, them a thank you. round of applause. Just go ahead. So uh, we're, I've been calling this uh, Stories from Mexico. And, um, and so I, I have two stories I'm going to share with you as well. And uh, how do I set this up? So that's Joey's stories and Kat's stories from Mexico. Um, so like Joey, I've, uh, with the Global Missions here at Stonebridge, I've traveled on, on many trips as well. And uh, many of us love traveling, um, and some of us just got back. I'm looking in the back. Some of us have gotten, just gotten back from traveling. And oftentimes when we travel, um, we're traveling as visitors, as tourists. Um, and so when we travel um, on these trips, uh, it's, di it's a little different because there is an element of kind of tourism, but right? you're traveling to a new place and learning new things, but, but you're also uh, you're traveling with the intention to serve and to serve God. Um, so I always find it um, uh, fascinating because when you're traveling as a tourist, you'll meet other Americans and you'll, you're, you're in other possible countries and stuff. And all of a sudden you'll see another American. And you're like, hey, there's another American. You wave and stuff. And, but when you're on a, a global missions trip abroad, um, you'll bump into other Americans and, and just to hear their stories and, and like, oh, why are you here? And what are you doing? And what's the church doing through you? Um, and so I find myself kind of gravitating to those conversations and quite honestly, kind of eavesdropping. So on the first night that we arrive in Mexico, we arrive at the Hugo Ministries compound, um, which is south of Ensenada. And it's, um, it's got an inner inside courtyard. You walk through some gates and, um, and on the first evening, they make it one of their uh, elements of being intentional in their ministry is that the house to the houses that for the families that the houses are going to be given, they have those families come to the compound and you meet the families on the first night. And, they, uh, and the, on this weekend, our intention was to build three houses. We ended up building two because of weather. But um, we meet with the families on the first night and they, they break us into kind of small groups on the houses that you're going to be building. And, and you meet with the family. And, uh, and that's intentional because we're not just, um, honestly, Americans can kind of go in and do something and leave. Um, and what they're t intentionally trying to do through that time is, you know, instill this idea that it's not just building the house, it's building a relationship. And so that first night's important that you get to meet the families so that when you're on the work site on the Saturday morning, it's not just a bunch of people like, you know, coming in and coming out, but you know the families you've already had spent some time with and you can greet them by name and uh, talk with them. Um, so, so that's intentional. So on that night, um, after we had kind of had these, some of these conversations and before dinner was served, I was eavesdropping on a conversation because there's always the conversation, why are you here? What have you been doing? And uh, this one guy, and I think it was Kat that was having the conversation. Um, this guy was talking and, and I think Kat had asked him like, how many times have you done this before? How many times? And he goes, yeah, I think this is my seventh trip. I've built seven houses. I keep coming back. And I think the follow-up question was, well, you know, why? And, and that's when I like, 
you know, started gravitating over to hear the conversation. And uh, why did he keep coming back? And he told this story that I want to share with you. He, he was saying that, well, it's just so meaningful. For example, he goes, the, I, one of the houses that he had built, the, so how does it work? Yugo is, is, is uh, based in Ensenada and is networked to multiple churches with multiple pastors. And those pastors know the needs of their communities. And so it's uh, in those, through the churches that families and individuals are receiving the homes that are being built. And so um, he was saying how the, this one build that was most meaningful to him was he, he showed up and, um, with their team, and who they met was a 13-year-old boy. And this boy, they said, when the pastor had found him, this 13-year-old boy was living in a hole in the wall. Now, I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what do you, <laughs> that's my nature. I'm like, what do you mean a hole in the wall? And they said, well, I, I guess that there was a sidewalk on the streets of Mexico. And if you've been to Mexico and in this area, like there's just a lot of construction that never gets completed. And there was a sidewalk that went up to a wall and it was a thick enough wall that perhaps like an electrical unit or something was going to go in there for the, the, and he was living like in the space in the wall because it gave him some kind of shelter. So he was a homeless 13 year old. And it turns out that he was a runaway. Um, at the age of 12, he had been kicked out of his family and kicked it by kicked out. Basically, uh, that family realized that they couldn't afford to take care of the whole family. And because he was the oldest son, they basically pushed him out and said, you're on your own. So he was pushed out to live with his uncle and his uncle was unfortunately an alcoholic and was physically abusive to him. So he lived with him for a time, but after being basically uh, abused, um, he ran away from his uncle and he found himself living in a hole in the wall. So the pastor found him and, uh, you know, starts caring for this individual and decides that he shouldn't be living in a hole and decides that the church should provide him a house at 13 years old. So I don't know how, you know, I don't know all the logistics, but the guy continues to tell his story and, and basically said, so he goes, this was like the fifth or sixth house that he had built. And here we are, we're meeting a 13 year old and we're building a house for him. And the ceremony that the key is passed and the keys of the house is given to a 13 year old boy who then lives in that space. Now, my concern is, and like he, he could read it in my face. He, he basically said, yeah. And now the church checks up on that 13 year old you know, on a weekly basis, people from the church check in because they want to make sure that the uncle doesn't come and take over the house and claim it for himself. Um, and so the church, right, is watching over this young man. Now, this was two, about two years, it was pre-pandemic. So this 13-year-old is probably now 15 or 16 years old, um, right? So there's the physical element of building a house, but Part of this story is also the church family adopting this boy into their family. The family uh, that could not provide for him or the family that actually abused him has now been transformed by the church family loving on him. And I think that's a story that's exciting. There's a sense of excitement where God is taking, you know, where is this, where is God, right? That's the start of the story. But where is God taking the life 
of this young man. The story is yet to be written. Which leads me to the next story I want to share. But before I do, I want to share with you today's scripture. It's from Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And the Lord asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with the skin. And I will put breath in you and you will come to life and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. The bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breathe from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath entered them, and they came to life, and they stood up on their feet as a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We were cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to your land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them, and I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it, declares the Lord. So on this Sunday, <laughs> one week ago was Easter. Can you believe it? It feels like a lifetime to me. Ask me later. On the Sunday following Easter, the week after what we call Resurrection Sunday, I felt it's appropriate that we consider this scripture today. The bleached out bones are miraculously transformed into living bodies, and it is a resurrection theme if there ever was one. Not only because it's a different biblical perspective on resurrection, but it's also because the scripture directly relates to the next story I want to tell you. Story from Mexico. But before I tell that story, I do want to put this scripture into uh, its context, a, a commentary a little on the scripture. Now, in regard to this script, in particular scripture, it was a very dark time for Israel. Israel would have been understood as the northern kingdom and a dark time for Judah, which would have been the southern kingdom. And it's in Judah where Jerusalem was and the temple. And Ezekiel, the prophet, uh, prophesied in the last days of Jerusalem before the Babylonian exile. Ezekiel himself was ex uh, exiled to Babylon in the year of 597 um, BC. And it, was, it happened in waves. 
Um, and, and that was the first wave. And then in about 10 years later, in 586 BC, Jerusalem fell and the temple was destroyed. And that was the second, um, the second wave and the second wave of deportations to Babylon. And at that point, what we understand is uh, the, uh, the Davidic monarchy, it was over. Once news reached the exiles who were already in Babylon that Jerusalem had fallen and that the temple had been destroyed, Ezekiel, the prophet, uh, basically the first half is basically gloom and doom and repentance. And the second half of Ezekiel points to hope. So they're in, they're in captivity, but his message is one of hope and revival and restoration and resurrection. Today's prophecy, uh, prophecy uh, which I just read, is perhaps the pinnacle expression of that hope. And so, to understand this better, right, emotionally, the imagery, I, I mean, put yourself in their place. Their world had literally, as they understood it, come to an end. Everything that they had trusted, everything that had given their lives shape and meaning was gone. Their land, their property their holy city, their place of worship. From their perspective, God had defeated, I'm sorry, from their perspective, their God had been defeated by the Babylonian gods. Could it be, they wondered, that their God wasn't really Lord of all? Or perhaps their God had deserted them in their darkest hour? Have you ever felt that way? Life's circumstances feel as if everything is falling apart. No hope. And I imagine that the boy in the hole may have felt that way. Ramon Velasquez felt that way. Ramon Velasquez is another story from Ensenada, Mexico. And when he tells his story, he tells it and calls it dry bones, white vans. And he describes where he grew up outside of Ensenada as a very... <laughs> so his first language is Spanish, and he speaks English. Uh, and I'm, gonna, I'm, uh, I'm quoting him a lot, so the English is a little broken, and that's okay. He describes where he grew up outside of Ensenada as very dry bones. He describes the spiritual state of his pueblo as dead everywhere, discouraging desolation. Most of the kids Ramon grew up with are now in prison or buried due to addiction or violence. If Ramon says, if God had asked me when I was 18 year old, can these bones live? He would have answered the same way Ezekiel did. Lord, only you know. To him, the dryness looked overwhelming. Then God started calling a group of Christians. God started calling a group of Christians, challenging them with a, a vision of a pueblo outside of Ensenada with very dry bones, which indeed could come to life. Leaving their comfort, leaving their families, leaving their jobs, this group of Christians obeyed God's calling and started a journey. Some came by flight, some drove, some flew into San Diego, and then drove from San Diego, hours and hours crossing the Mexican border, willing to speak life to the dead. Even when these Christians didn't speak Spanish, they did have a message, 
a message that resonates with power. In Ramon's words, it was a Sunday morning 17 years ago. Our little rural community started to hear something. The sound of five white passenger vans with California license plates moving one by one. Parking at the church, doors being opened, laughter, conversations. It was just the beginning. During the days that followed their arrival, the sound got louder. It was different, never heard before. Kids from our pueblo laughing, songs being sung, hammering, cutting, painting, conversations about Jesus. The sound of spiritual bones shaking and hitting each other was obvious. It was deafening. The message was delivered. You will come to life. Ezekiel 37, verse 10. So I prophesied and he commanded me. A breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet. A vast army. Again, the words of Ramon Velasquez. Many things have changed since that day. From very dry human bones, God is developing a great, shiny, and beautiful army. A Christian army of faith. Every year in Ensenada, Every year, Ensenada hears this rattling sound, white vans, dry bones. This noise announces houses being built, kids being taught about Jesus, marriages being renewed, local churches being challenged and inspired to be a deeper, come to a deeper level of service to God and to people. The echo is not confined to the margins of the people directly involved in these short-term mission experiences. People are watching. The bones are shaking to life. Ramon continues, I can tell you that witnessing these Christians obeying God opened my eyes because now I, 17 years later, am a local pastor. I am the result. Having witnessed these teams come to Ensenada again and again and again, speaking life to dry bones, today my personal response to God's question, can these bones live? 17 years ago, now I have a different answer. It is different. I live now answering, Lord, you will do it again. This is the story of hope that as a church we share with the world. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for your power. <laughs> we thank you for your power through you, your spirit to transform lives. And when lives are broken, you bring them restoration and new life. And so every Sunday, we come to this place as a community of faith celebrating these things. Uh, Lord, we thank you for our partners in ministry, uh, Hands of Mercy and Hugo, and for the work they're doing. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come alongside them and gather, uh, be part of the parade of Christians that go down weekend after weekend after weekend. And although we do it once a year, there is a community in Ensenada that experiences in, uh, your love week in and week out. Lord, we thank you for how you are at work in Mexico and how you are at work in us and through us. We pray these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. God has blessed us with much. Let us continue in worship.
You move.